for joining me for this week's episode. You're listening to the Sandoval Bench Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Sandoval. Uh, for this week, I wanted to recap the NBA draft, recap some of the major trades uh, in the league, and then also, towards the end, recap Season 2 of The Bear, my favorite TV show right now. Uh, so we'll do that towards the end of the podcast to avoid any spoilers. So if you haven't watched it all the way through yet, you can uh, cut the podcast short. So starting with the NBA draft, uh, the San Antonio Spurs had the number one overall pick. Um, everyone already knew who they're picking. They picked Victor Wimbanyama, uh, center out of France, seven four, uh, crazy athletic. He has, you know, his handle's amazing. But uh, we'll see how he transitions to the NBA. Um, he is. A lot of people are calling him the greatest prospect in sports history, which I won't say right now. Um, I think LeBron is obviously still the better prospect. Um, but you know, a lot of people haven't been watching his game, so we don't really know. Um, you know his talent level. Obviously, it's it's um, he's like just a unicorn. I know a unicorn has been overused, but just his build and his athleticism and all the things he can do, he can play inside and out. Um, it's amazing to see. So, um, and I think for San Antonio, it's the best place for him, honestly, because you know you have the French connection with with Tony Parker. Um, you have all these. Um, successful big men david robinson tim duncan and uh probably the greatest coach of all time greg popovich um so i think the uh the fan base the city of san antonio everyone's excited um and you know it seems like greg popovich has been you know rejuvenated here he was close to retirement but now he has uh wemby there um as a first pick so now he has someone he can he can truly coach and truly uh develop into the star player that he can be and most likely will be. Um, so it's an exciting time for San Antonio. You know, I, I love uh, watching the Spurs in, in big games, and um, finally the Spurs will get some uh, attention again with uh, with them drafting Victor Wimbonyama. Um, you know, he already had a team dinner with, um, not a team dinner, but a Spurs Legends dinner, I should say, with Ginobili, Sean Elliott, Tim Duncan, Dave Robinson, and Greg Popovich was there. Um, so kind of showing him the ropes, but he's going to have a lot of support there in San Antonio. You know, they were a, a abysmal team. They don't have any other talent, you know, besides him, really, um, any star caliber players. So um, he's going to have a long leash, I think, in the beginning, a few years, because we all know how um, decimated that San Antonio roster has been. But he has a great coach uh, leading the charge and, you know, showing him the ropes and everything. So... Um, I'm excited. I think he went to the best organization that he could have possibly gone to. Um, yeah, so it's going to be great for his development. It's going to be great for the league to see the Spurs back, um, you know, in uh, contention, hopefully, in the next few years. Definitely great to see them in the spotlight once again, but obviously that was a no-brainer pick. Uh, number two, the Charlotte Hornets. They picked up Brandon Miller from Alabama. He's a you know six nine wing. He can score in a variety of ways. Um, I don't know if he's like a, a number one like star player, like franchise on your shoulders type of player, but I don't think they need that out of Brandon Miller because they do have Lamelo Ball. He's that guy for them. Um, you know, however you feel about Lamelo Ball, I like Lamelo Ball. Um, I just need to see him con to continue to progress um, into the star that he can be, and hopefully flirt at least flirt with like a uh, a playoff spot or get into the playoffs. Um, but yeah, you know the other option for the Hornets was Scoot Anderson. I'm, I was a Scoot guy. Um, I like his build and his, his drive and, and motivation. He played uh, this past year in the G League. Um, not the best outside shooter, but he can be you know aggressive inside the paint, but. Um, you know, I'm not sure what the Hornets are doing. I don't think the Hornets know what they're doing. But overall, I think this is a, a good pick, I guess, for the Hornets. Um, I like Brandon Miller as a player. You know, he has obviously has that legal situation, so we don't know how that is going to turn out. But it seems like he's going to be fine playing. You know, he was able to play the whole season at Alabama, but he had some phenomenal games um, for Alabama. So uh, we'll see. And then the Hornets are getting sold. Uh, Michael Jordan's uh, selling his majority share uh, of that ownership so um there's gonna be some i think there's gonna be some changes in in um uh for the hornets you know and number three was scoot henderson uh went to the blazers and this was you know i i think um 
they wanted Scoot Henderson from the beginning. I don't think they were they were high on Brandon Miller. I feel like Brandon Miller would have been a better pick for the Blazers if he was available there. But I think the whole time the Blazers were going for Scoot Henderson. And the problem, you know, with this pick, I like Scoot Henderson, and I, you know, I love Dame, and I think the combo, I think it it could work, but uh, the problem with those Damian Lillard teams that had you know CJ McCollum and stuff was that they were a, they were the smallest backcourt in the NBA right and none of them could defend so now you go from that and now you have another backcourt after you draft Scoot Henderson now you have the smallest backcourt again because Scoot Henderson's 6'2 you know he's built like a small pickup truck but you know he's still undersized and you know can't really shoot from outside you know he he's gonna be a good player I think but just to match him up, to line him up with Damian Lillard, who already has some um, some size deficiencies and also you know he's a defensive liability. I just think you're you're kind of replicating what you already had with CJ. Because then if you want that, why don't you just keep CJ and then just see what you have there, right? But um, you know, Scoot could be a good number two. I was kind of questioning if they were going to trade Dame, you know, or put put that number three pack uh number three pick scoot henderson in a package for another like all-star caliber player to put alongside uh damon lillard because you know he wants you know there was the rumors with the heat i don't think he's gonna go to miami um just because you know asset wise i don't know what the heat are gonna get back and then you know portland has announced that they don't want to trade damon lillard so there's a lot of you know questions but i think probably give it this next year, this last season, uh, for Damian Lillard and the and the Portland Trailblazers to see, you know, hey, are we going to make the playoffs? Are we going to go on a deep run? They're probably not going to, but, you know, I think they're going to ride it out this year to see what they can do because, you know, Damian Lillard has reportedly, he just said he just wants a shot. But I don't think Scoot Henderson, you know, puts them over the top to, hey, you know, we're going to keep Dame. Um, they're taking visits from um, Draymond Green. You know, that's like a, a, a player that they want to sign. Um, you know, Jeremy Grant is like apparently locked into like a $150 million contract. Um, you know, so you have some pieces you can move to, though. So I'm not really sure. I think they end up running it back this year and then kind of making some free agency moves. You know, free agency opens this Friday. Uh, there's a lot of people available, but... Um, yeah, so uh, they took Scoot Henderson. Four and five um, were the Thompson Twins out of Oakland. Um, went to the Rockets, and then the other one went to the Pistons. And then, you know, there's some some other picks. I'm not going to recap the entire draft. I only know a few of these players, honestly, because I watched, like, almost zero college basketball. Before March Madness, I didn't watch any college basketball games. So I only know a few of these guys, the guys at the top, and then... Um, some of the guys the from the second round that fell, like uh, Imani Bates, he fell all the way to um, he fell all the way to the 49th pick to Cleveland. And this guy, a couple years ago, he was on the cover of um, of Sports Illustrated, I think, or Slam Magazine. Like he was like the best rated player in the country. And then he fell off a lot. Went to Eastern Michigan. Uh, you know didn't really improve his draft stock at all but you know he it's a that was a steal of the draft I think for Cleveland because you know he, he has the talent uh, I think he just needs to find his focus and his drive and then he can he can probably be a, a really good um, a good player for Cleveland probably not a star caliber player but you know could turn into a really good role player if not better if um, if he continues to improve his shot and things like that but uh, yeah, so then we'll move on to major trades in the NBA. Um, some surprising ones, honestly. We had uh, so John Collins finally got traded. I'll I'll talk about that one first because you know it seemed like for two years, two and a half years now, that uh, we've had a bunch of reports that uh, John Collins and Trey Young have been having some some locker room issues and they don't like each other and you know they put them on the trade block. No one was interested. I think uh, for a little bit, Boston was interested, and then the Lakers were rumored. There was a bunch of rumors, you know, for the last couple of years. Finally gets traded to the Utah Jazz, um, you know, and for really not that much either. I thought that, you know, Dallas might have been um, a good fit for him. But, yeah, John Collins is on the move to the Jazz. I'm not sure what the Jazz are doing, you know. Um, 
they have uh, you know some interesting pieces. You know they they had a, a strong start to the season last year and then kind of faltered. But um, I mean I think they surprised some people. And then you know they have a lot of draft capital. They have a young team with you know some guys that can play that can actually play as we've seen last year. So um, yeah, I think they're on the right track to be a, a a good team in the future with all that draft capital that they have. Like they they're bound to hit on some of those draft picks, right? Um, and then let's see, there was another one that an early trade. The first trade was, um, Przingis, Christoph Przingis was traded from the Wizards to the Boston Celtics, which I loved the trade for the Boston Celtics because, um, they needed like a big, uh, a scoring big, you know, who's like, who's, you know, who can display some versatility there for the team. Cause they've had some, some bigs that can't do all of that. You know, Al Horford, you know, he can shoot from the outside, but now he's like 38, 39, and he had a terrible, terrible postseason, right? Like he just wasn't showing up um, in the conference finals. Um, but the original trade was uh, Przingis was going to Boston, but then Malcolm Brogdon was going to the Clippers, which I loved that pickup um, for the Clippers. But then there was some issues with the medical um, exam for him. He had, um, there was some injury issues there so that trade was voided so Malcolm Brogdon I think is staying with the Celtics but then now there's um there's reports that he might not play this year or something um so there's like some serious injury issues that Boston I think was trying to withhold that information from the Clippers so then they had to redo the trade and the second time around so it was on hold fell apart then Przingis still goes to Boston, but then the Celtics had a trade. Their longest tenured Celtic defensive player of the year. Um, I think, honestly, their heart and soul of that team in Marcus Smart. So Marcus Smart goes to Memphis, which, you know, I love the acquisition for Memphis because Memphis needs, I mean, he's not like a veteran veteran. He's a veteran because, you know, he's been around the league for a while. He's, what, 29 now? Um, so it's considered a veteran. He's not, you know, like a... Adonis Haslam or, you know, Carmelo Anthony or anything, anyone old like that. But, um, you know, he he's like if Dylan Brooks was like more mature, maybe, and like a better player. Um, so, yeah, Marcus Smart is going to bring a, a, a strong defensive presence uh, that Memphis sorely needed. Um, he's a way better uh, playoff performer than we've seen with Dylan Brooks. Um, you know, uh, Marcus Smart doesn't run from the moment. You know he's ready. He knows how to compete, and he's a fighter. Um, he's a he's a locker room guy. Um, he's a good chemistry guy. Um, I like Marcus Smart. I always liked him. I liked him in um, Oklahoma State. Hoping he can maybe be helpful for uh, John Morant, but um, maybe mostly on on the basketball court. Um, but yeah, great move by Memphis. Um, I don't like seeing him leave Boston because I feel like he was a vital part of their success there in Boston. But um, Boston had to make some changes because, you know, I think they realize that they've been plateauing with the current uh, roster construction and especially with the uh, current um, head coach. You know, they were they were uh, falling flat for sure, especially with the East is uh, improving a lot, you know, with the uh, with the Bucks getting fully healthy and the Celtics, not the Celtics, uh, the Sixers. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, the first trade to kind of kick things off. And then we had, um, Jordan Poole was finally traded from the Golden State Warriors after this, uh, abysmal year that he had after signing that, that massive contract extension for him. Um, he was terrible in the playoffs. He was worse in the playoffs this year than he was, um, last year when they won the championship, obviously, but he took, um, he took a big um, dip in all of his numbers, and uh, Steve Kerr at times couldn't even. He was unplayable at at times in big moments in the game and in certain um, playoff series. Is like he he was um, you know he was ball dominant. He kept you know doing a lot of isolation stuff, and then he he was a, a major liability on defense. Couldn't get any guys involved. His basketball IQ is uh, extremely low. He just he has no idea what he's doing on the court. Um, I mean, I've, I've said this many times that I just, I hate watching him play basketball and I would love to do anything else besides watch Jordan Poole play basketball. So I am elated that he has finally been traded because something had to give because the Warriors plan on bringing back, uh, Draymond Green, uh, to probably like a hundred million dollar contract is what he's seeking. And he's probably worth that. But, 
Um, you could not continue with this current roster construction, keeping Jordan Poole and Draymond Green because there was major moments in the uh, in the season during the season was that you know he wasn't listening to Draymond, and then you had that moment where uh, Draymond was you know giving everyone high fives during the game when they're walking. He's walking towards the bench. And then he pulls his hand away from Draymond, and then Steph has to pull him aside and talk to him. And he talks to him and says, hey, what are you doing? And then after the, he talks to Poole, Steph walks over Draymond and then gives him, like, shakes his hand, like, hey, I'm here to support you. And in the end, it was always going to be a team that's, like, kind of a veterans versus young guys because, you know, even Steve Kerr talked about it on a podcast was that, or I think it was on Draymond's podcast, was that, you know, um, Jonathan Kaminga complaining about playing time, and so is Jordan Poole. And then he emphasized how the Miami Heat role players were, they're all ready, they're all locked in, they're all about winning, and it's like a culture thing. And Steve Kerr's trying to build this culture with Draymond and Clay and, and Steph and Kevon Looney. And they've established that. And they've and with Andrew Wiggins, and they've shown time and time again that they can win under certain circumstances, and these bench guys have to be ready to contribute whenever they're needed, right? Like we saw with uh, Jamichael Green. He didn't play a minute the game before, and then I forget what game it was. Was that like game two or something? Um, he, he had like 17 points. He was like hot from three, and he kept getting a lot of playing time. And so if you play well and within your role, you're going to earn your minutes. And the young guys, like they have to learn. And Kerr has shown this time and time again is that you earn your minutes that you play. Gary Payne earned those minutes that he played. He earned it in crunch time. There was big moments in the fourth quarters of, of a lot of those games where Gary Payton was in there. And then what do you see? You see Gary Payton uh, diving for the ball, taking alley-oops, like shooting, hitting threes. Like he, he earned those minutes. And Moses Moody earned, earned the playing time that he got. And you know what? The little playing time that Jonathan Kaminga got and, and Jordan Poole got, they earned that. Because every time they were in there, they were not ready for the moment. You know, um, I like Kaminga, but you could tell his pouting, his body language, he just wasn't there. Pool, you know, Kerr tried to do a lot to get him started, get him like, you know, um, hitting shots early. So he put him in the starting lineup. And he was just abysmal. His plus minus was horrible. Um, he was always turning over the ball. And he just has no basketball IQ. He wanted to be the guy, um, but he's not the guy because he's not Steph Curry. He's not Clay Thompson. He's Jordan Poole. And now on the Wizards, how many shots a game do you think Jordan Poole's going to average on the Wizards? I think the over-under has to be like 24 and a half. He's going to at least shoot 25 shots a game, I think. He's probably going to end up averaging like 20 points a game, 22 points a game. But, you know, how many wins are the Wizards going to have? Like 30 wins maybe, 25 wins? Like they're not going to be a good team, but Jordan Poole's going to look like, you know, he's going to look like a great player. But he's not going to be a great player. He's going to do a lot of isolation ball. Um, he's just going to shoot them into the, a top three pick in the NBA draft for the next season probably. But, you know, that's what he wants. It seems like that's what he wants. He wants to be the focal point of a team. But he's not. his maturity level is not there and his basketball IQ is not there. But um, I'm so happy that they traded Jordan Poole because I just could not watch him play. Um, you know, there was so many moments where uh, Steph was like just obviously – visibly frustrated with him and Steve Kerr and all these guys but um, there's finally some some clarity on the punch situation when Draymond Green punched uh, Poole in that practice that in that video that got released I don't know if it's true but this is what what was released and um, if you know the the rapper Cameron he has his own podcast I think it's called uh, it is what it is and he claims he heard from multiple sources that uh, the reason that happened was because Jordan Poole was talking shit to Draymond during the practice and he said that um, he slept with way more women than Draymond did at Michigan State while he was at Michigan State. Meaning, you know, Jordan Poole went to University of Michigan. Draymond Green went to Michigan State. So Jordan Poole was telling him that he had sex with more women at Draymond's own school than Draymond did at his own school. Which, like, who cares? So he's telling that, and then he's like, oh, um, but don't worry about it. You're going to be in Sacramento next year, saying that, you know, the Warriors are not going to retain Draymond Green and that he's going to play in Sacramento, and they're going to choose to keep Jordan Poole, who was barely part of that, that fourth championship that they won, 
And then he says, this is what the report was, was that. Um, then he tells him, he's like, oh, why is your why is your Twitter handle money green when you're broke? You're not going to get a new contract from the Warriors. You're not going to get another contract. So then that's when Draymond ran down the court and he punched him. And that's probably why in that video you see a lot of people question like, oh, why is like everyone just walking around? Like no one's like going towards Draymond. Like, hey, man, like why would you do that? They all kind of walk out like, okay, like maybe Poole deserved it for what he said to Draymond. Because come on, you can't say all this stuff to your teammate, especially a teammate of, with the stature that, that Draymond has within that organization, right? So um, they could not continue. The Warriors had to choose one or the other. They chose to give Jordan Poole that contract, right? But then you move that contract off of the books, so now you can bring in other guys, right? And then you can that leaves more money on the table to re-sign Klay Thompson to um, a long-term deal. So he could retire Warrior and then also Draymond Green, which Draymond Green is, you know, exploring options with other teams. He's going to take some visits. The Blazers, you know, he's close with Damian Lillard. Um, he's very close with LeBron. He'll probably take a visit with LeBron. Uh, the Kings are also reported to be interested. But, uh, the you know, people within the organization fully expect him to return to the Warriors. I expect him to return to the Warriors. Um, I think he's going to return to the Warriors. He just wants to use these other meetings as leverage, basically. So what fascinated me with this Jordan Poole trade was that the the Warriors got Chris Paul in return, and Chris Paul was he was just traded to um, from Phoenix to the Wizards, and the Wizards were talking they were going to buy him out or trade him somewhere else. Uh, but before he was traded to the Wizards from Phoenix, there was a bunch of reports that the Kings were interested, and then also the Warriors were aggressively pursuing. Chris Paul and I thought I'm like that's kind of weird I'm like why would they aggressively pursue Chris Paul uh, so I just thought it was a rumor and then I saw that uh, the Warriors actually traded for Chris Paul um, my first thought was that I hated the trade I, I had a love-hate thing with the trade I loved it because they got rid of Poole finally but then I hated it because they brought in a guy who's 38 years old um, extensive injury history um and he, he's you know he's come up short in big moments right but then i i got i had a few days to sit on it and then i started thinking about it and i started thinking about what the warriors needed what the warriors were lacking and i love this trade now i love this trade because they're not bringing cp in to play 82 games and take them all the way to the finals play 35 minutes a game average 2010 whatever they're not expecting him to do that at all because he one he can't do that, his body's not holding up. But Phoenix was, Phoenix was relying on him to be the starting point guard for the entire season, and they didn't have a backup point guard. Their backup point guard was Campaign, and you know you can only go so far with Campaign. So when he was off the floor, they struggled, and now the Warriors, <clears throat> their major issue, the past few years is that whenever Steph Curry's off the floor, they have issues and liabilities on offense, like they can't score right. And so now you bring in Chris Paul, who, you know, he you can run the offense through Chris Paul. He can, you know, set the tone offensively. And honestly, with those, if they keep Kaminga and, and Moody and, you know, they decide to – like, I don't, I don't think they should start uh, Chris Paul. They can't start Chris Paul alongside Steph and Clay. Like, that's just – that's just too, too many uh, undersized guards right there. Like, that just wouldn't work, right? But if um, if you just give Chris Paul the second unit, let him run with the second unit in like I feel like in spurts, you, there could you could go for like um, you know a few minutes at a time, you know where you can put Steph and and uh, CP together. But for the most part, I fully expect Kerr to give the second unit to Chris Paul to kind of lead that second unit, and then just to kind of just let him run with it, let him run with the young guys. You know, set up a pick and roll. You know, get um, get some. Um, you know, get the most out of those guys, and that's what he could do. We saw him do that in Oklahoma City. Um, you know, New Orleans when he was a younger player, he's done that anywhere he's gone. He's he's been able to get the most out of his teammates, and you know, as far as fit goes, you know, obviously, you know, he's been like 
the a big enemy for Steph Curry and the Warriors since he was with the Clippers and then when he was with the Suns and then with the Rockets like it they've always had to battle it out and there's always been this rivalry with Steph Curry and 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 Chris Paul and me as a Warriors fan I don't like Chris Paul you know I don't like him but I can respect his game and his longevity of his career and what he can bring to the table as as a as a veteran player right I know him and Draymond have some issues, but it sounds like Chris Paul is actually excited to be part of the Warriors organization. Um, they want to put him alongside Steph and, and with that team to win a championship, right? And if he plays like 60 games or you know plays most of the season and plays like 25 minutes a game, and let's say he averages like 10 and 10 or something, 12 and 10, if he can get him that, like that's great. That's what I want. If he can make a deep run in the playoffs and when Steph is off the is off the floor and you let CP like run the offense and he can do it like effectively and they can he could just lead that second unit then like that'd be great, you know, but he has to buy into the system a little bit more, you know, like more ball movement and all that stuff. I don't I, but I don't want to see Chris Ball like playing off ball. I want him to have the ball in his hands with that second unit and that's the only way I think it'll work. I don't think it'll work if um if he's not the primary ball handler and if he's like starting alongside Steph Curry, like that just doesn't make sense. So I've seen a couple reports. I've seen one from different reporters say, oh, uh, the Warriors fully expect to start him alongside Steph Curry. And then I've seen another one saying, oh, we expect him to be come off the bench with a second unit. So I don't know if it's true, but it has to be a second unit. It just makes the most sense. Okay, now I wanted to recap Season 2 of The Bear. Um, so yeah, if you haven't watched all of Season 2 yet, uh, you can uh, skip out of this part of the podcast. Uh, so this is a show on Hulu. This is my favorite show right now. Um, season 1 was amazing. Um, and yeah, the start of Season 2 was um, was great. Because at, at the end of, of Season 1, we had, um, you know, they decided to close the family restaurant uh, the beef and then they um, they found all the money that um, Carmi's brother Mikey was hiding so they found $330,000 and decided to redo the restaurant and call it the bear which is um, what they call uh, each other since their last name is Brizado that's what they call themselves but season 2 the entire season is about them trying to transform the current uh, restaurant into their new restaurant called the bear so um you know this season was just amazing so each each character had their own different episode where um carmy played by jeremy allen white would um he's you know he's trying to do this whole leadership role i think but then he's also um kind of conflicted throughout the season since you know he um he runs into a uh, childhood friend who he had a crush on who's played by molly gordon Her character's name is claire and she's adorable in the show absolutely adorable and uh, so they start dating and you know so he's obviously he's a little bit distracted but you know one of the episodes he sends um marcus who's his pastry chef he sends him to copenhagen in denmark to learn how to cook different pastries and this is where we See one of our first guest stars, Will Poulter, who plays the um, the pastry chef who starts teaching Marcus certain things. Um, but this was a beautifully shot episode. A lot of it was uh, uh, in Copenhagen, and it was just amazing. I just love that episode so much. Um, you know, Marcus's character is going through you know different things with his mom in the hospital. Um, so and she's been you know she's been dying for four years. So he's been having to take care of her in the hospital. Uh, so he has a lot on his mind and um, the encouragement though, or like the motivation that this gave Marcus, he gave him like the strength is like, oh, he comes back, he's so eager and happy to learn to learn and work in the restaurant. And so he's showing him all these like different, um, these different recipes that he, he made. So he's excited now, you know, he's a, he's now he's like a real pastry chef instead of, you know, prior he, he had come from McDonald's before. Um, so in this season we're seeing the evolution of a lot of these uh, these characters where they're becoming actual uh, actual chefs now, you know. And then there's another episode, like I think this was early on, like uh, I think one of the first episodes in the uh, in the season was that 
Ibram um, and Tina, they get sent to actual culinary school so they could actually learn, you know, the ropes. So they're, um, and you know, obviously they're intimidated and stuff because they're older. And Tina's really excited. Um, you know, Carmi gives her uh, his knife that he, his chef's knife that he uses. So she has all this, you know, all this encouragement and stuff. And she's ready to be uh, the new sous chef there for the restaurant. Um, and Ibram has, you know, he has kind of like a crisis. Like he quits, he leaves the school, he doesn't want to be part of it. Eventually he comes back, but um, like the change in Tina from season one, where she's kind of against everything, she was all, she's part of the old guard. Uh, she doesn't like Sydney, but then she learns to respect Sydney at the end of season one, and she's like motivated. But then you know season two, uh, Sydney asks her to be her sous chef, and Tina is so excited, like she wasn't expecting it. So she has uh, the support from both Sydney and Carmi, and I'm just like. I was just so happy to see her character be happy and then also to see uh, when she went out with uh, with the other chefs at the restaurant or at the at the culinary school and they they invite her out and she goes out and she's hanging out she's doing her little song like that just made me so happy that she's actually like you know um, open to change and open to um, to learning something new and open to uh, being a vital part of this new restaurant it was just it was amazing to see in that episode. And I think my my favorite character throughout the show is Richie because he's obviously he's part of the old guard. He was best friends with Mikey. Um, he's like old school Chicago. Um, doesn't like this new change of or, or like how restaurants are changing, and he doesn't like PC culture, all this stuff, right? Um, and he's you know he's a little rough around the edges, um, and you know he he is seen to like destroy relationships in his personal life with his ex-wife and uh, but then you know you kind of get a soft spot for him in the first season when you hear um the way his ex-wife talks about him calls him uh, bad news richie and then you know can't really talk to his daughter all the time and he has a complicated relationship with his daughter obviously um and this whole time he's trying to figure out um you know what is his purpose here in this restaurant um is he fitting in with this new people and this is part of season one too is that you know he's kind of um he kind of doesn't know what to do because he didn't he doesn't have any culinary experience he just works like front of house basically and he was just there because he was mikey's best friend and he's part of the family be at by friendship basically and so they call him cousin all the time but um you know this season he's the entire time he's trying to find his purpose right and so this one episode, um, it's called uh, Forks, and uh, Carmi sends him to work in one of the best restaurants in the country, right? And it's, you know, they're all wearing suits, and they're all having to learn, you know, a system there, right? And, um, you know, he, he shows up with his original beef shirt, and, you know, he has, to, he has to dress up, he has to wear a suit, and, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of hardcore there, really intense, um, but he has to be there for a week and this entire time he's kind of fighting it and, you know, they have to pull him aside and talk to him and stuff, but, um, you know, he's kind of dreading it. He thinks he's there for punishment. And at the end of the day, you know, he ends up finding his purpose. He found his role within the restaurant and his his growth from season one to season two is just amazing. That's one of the best episodes of the entire show is um, that Forks episode because you get to see like Richie find his purpose and now he finally understands why Carmi loves the restaurant industry so much, right? And um, you can see that he falls in love with it because he, he's good with people at the end of the day, right? And um, he thought he was there for punishment, but then uh, Olivia Coleman, this is where we see Olivia Coleman, she plays Chef Terry. And so she's talking to Richie about, um, you know, how to, she's showing him how to uh, slice mus mushrooms or peel mushrooms. And then she tells him that Carmi believes in him and he's good with people and that's why he's there. And um, then you see a picture of uh, Will Poulter and uh, Jeremy Allen White that they both work together at, the, at that same restaurant. So Carmi's using his connections of, you know, of training with the culinary elite that he learned with. He's he's using his connections to send his current chefs and employees to to build, give them confidence and give them the ability to work in their restaurant because this new restaurant, this new iteration of the restaurant, the Bear is going to be um, you know, a, a pleasant experience for everybody as far as like food and and system and everything in place everything's gonna be all procedure it's gonna be great it's gonna be they're gonna operate as like a they're like a michelin restaurant right 
And this whole time, like season one and season two, like Richie's just fighting it, fighting everything. You know, he's he's experiencing grief too because Mikey was his best friend. He's like a brother to him. And, you know, he also lost him, right? And, you know, there, there's that scene in uh, season one when um, Carmi picks him up from the police station and they're in the car and, um, you know, they're quiet. He looks at him. He's like, you're all I got, cousin. You're all I got. Like, man, that was emotional. So he's pouring all this in because that, that's all he has. That's all he knows. And now after he does this this week training at this other restaurant, um, which there's some, there's some great scenes, you know, at the end of it. Like, they all love him there. They're sad to see him go. Um, but he goes back to the bear, and he's just a new, whole new person. He wears suits now. Um, he's taking, like, the leadership role. Like, he knows where he fits in now. And he's, like, oh, he's a vital part of that team and I just loved to see that transformation because you know Richie's a complicated character and you know it, it was nice to see him find his way there um one of the best episodes so there's so many cameos in this season so many great ones um you know the best episode though and I don't want to I don't want to sound like a, a be a prisoner of the moment but this episode was one of the best episodes of TV I've seen in a very long time um it was that Christmas episode, Fishes is what it's called, and this is a flashback episode, so you have all the Brizados are together for Christmas, um, so this is where most of the cameos um, happen, you know, obviously we've seen John Berthal play uh, Mikey in, in past flashback scenes, this one he's he's in there the whole episode, right, then you have um, Sarah Paulson plays her cousin, and then uh, John Mulaney plays her boyfriend or husband or whatever. Um, Bob Odenkirk is in it, and he plays um, Uncle Lee. The best one by far was uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who plays uh, Dee Dee, the mom. And she I, she can win an Emmy for, for her role there. But this episode, it sets up, you know... You know, it's the the way they changed the intro. I love the way that they changed the intro to this because it was like it was like a Christmas movie, right? They do like they have a Christmas music on, and then they show, you know, like pictures and like decorations, and they have all the credits of all the the names of all the um, the actors and stuff. It was like I, I thought it was just like the funniest thing of like, oh, they got a Christmas episode in in June, and they're doing like a traditional Christmas movie. It was I just loved it, right? And then you get to meet the the mom character right and um you know there was there was a conversation between uh tina and carmy in this first season and where she he's like oh where'd you learn this and she's like oh i learned it from your mom you know went there for dinner and stuff and he's like oh how was that it's like oh you know you know it was crazy but the food was good and so you kind of you kind of pick it's kind of in your head like oh hey but you know maybe their their mom's crazy and that's that's where a lot of their trauma stems from right because obviously this family is like they deal with so much trauma and um you know addiction and um you know and how how do they deal with it but they they all they bond through food right their mom was a cook and they had this family restaurant and you know mikey was was running it and then you know carmy goes and and does all this stuff and be and he's like a like the best cook right he's voted the best chef and then um you know, you, you get a lot of scenes with, with uh, Natalie um, or Sugar in this scene, too, and in this episode. And you kind of, I feel bad for her, but, you know, her her character evolving, you know, I really, I'm a big fan of her in, in the second season because she's kind of taking the reins. Um, but, you know, she has a complicated relationship with the mom, too, because, you know, they kind of butt heads a lot of the way. Um, but, yeah, in this episode, you really see why... Um, you know, the mom is like a, 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 a focal point of all their stress and trauma. Um, so they're doing like the seven fishes dinner and, um, you know, which I, I don't know what the actual story is, but they kept repeating the story saying like, oh, when they, they moved from England over there for during the holidays or something, they have to do like seven different dishes of fish, basically. So she's in there cooking a bunch and um, the whole time she's drunk and she looks terrible and she's just yelling at everybody and breaking glasses like it's just a mess it's so chaotic and jamie lee curtis like captured this character so perfectly i haven't seen like this amazing acting in a while like it was just amazing and she should definitely win 
an Emmy for the guest star Emmy, whatever, if that's even a, a category, but she should definitely win it. Cause it was, um, it was great. Like she was just a hot mess yelling at everybody. And then, um, but while this is happening, you know, different people are trying to go in the kitchen and help her out. But you know, no one, um, no one comes out alive without, without her yelling at them. Right. But, um, this episode is like a reminder of, I feel like everyone can connect to this episode where, um, you know, it, you're at a Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner with family. Like you don't really talk to that much. Or when you do talk to them, it's just, you know, it's toxic. You know, you have some extended family. You don't really want to see all the time. You know, you hate the conversation. It's terrible. And so this episode is like everyone's Thanksgiving and Christmas, just awful, awful dinner, right? Like you don't want, you don't want, well, you don't want to be there. Like no one ever wants to be there. But you're like, hey, I, I guess I have to be there. Am I really related to these people? I guess I am related to these people. So that's what this episode is. Um, it's just like so chaotic, and you you see all the all the trauma. But then there's some nice moments. There's some nice moments. The one of the nicest moments is just like one of the best scenes. I keep saying the best and the greatest, but I just I just love this show so much. There's so many like good like one-on-one scenes with certain characters that resonate with me like the dialogue is like so perfect the lighting is perfect like the emotions like the the way that the actors like you see the emotion in their face like like the way it just captures the scene and the dialogue it's it's like it's perfect like everything about this show is perfect because you feel you feel every emotion like i feel every emotion every episode i feel everything like it's just i no other show has made me feel like that it's crazy but this one scene between mikey and carmy where um jamie lee curtis character Dee's like yelling at carmy to get the crackers and she's like oh, i need some fucking saltines give me some saltines and uh mikey's sitting in like the pantry and uh, Carmi goes against the crackers, but the Carmi has had this whole episode. He's had problems. Like he's finally coming back from from New York, or he, he's finally back home from you know doing all his culinary stuff, and 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 um, you know he just wants to work at the restaurant, and he hasn't been invited to the restaurant, and Mikey's been ignoring his calls and stuff, and so obviously he, he there's something wrong, right? And Mikey's like, I'm not gonna give you saltines. Like you need to tell me what's wrong. And they're having a whole conversation. He's like, hey, man, you know, I want to work at the restaurant. I have some ideas and stuff, right? And he's like, okay, well, tell me something about Copenhagen. Oh, he came back from Copenhagen. He's like, tell me something about Copenhagen. So he's telling about Copenhagen. And, like, they zoom in. They kind of zoom in on, like, on on Mikey. And he's like, yeah. Uh, he's like, wow, that's awesome. It's a home run, right? And you could tell he's, like, in his face, he's, like, he's so proud of him. You know, and he's telling him, he's telling his brother that he's really proud of him. Because, you know, Carmi looks up to him. He seeks approval from his brother, and then he tells him, he's like, oh, actually, I got you something. And then he, he gets him something. He gives him a gift. He's like, oh, you got me a gift? He's like, yeah, I got you something. And it's like a framed picture of a drawing of the idea of the restaurant that they're, that he wants to do with the bear. And he gives it to him. He's like, oh, it's rough and stuff. And he's like, wow, this is amazing. Like, let's let it rip. You know, when he, and then, you know, in the first season when he finds that letter from him where it says let it rip. Because it's like, hey, this is a restaurant that you showed me. And this is the this is why I saved the money so we can do this, and so then he has this thing framed where it's like a drawing of the the restaurant that he wants to do this idea that he's doing in the current season, and he's just you could tell like Mike is just so emotional, like accepting that, and he's just like trying to hold it in, and then uh, Carmi leaves to get the saltines, and then this whole time this whole scene you hear Jamie Lee Curtis's character just yelling in the background at people and all this stuff while she's in the kitchen cooking. And then it kind of pans out. And then, um, like Carmi leaves and Mikey starts crying. That was like, man, that, that scene right there got me. Like I got a little emotional right there. Like that was just such a beautiful scene. I thought like he didn't want to, uh, he didn't want him. He didn't want to see his brother that he was crying, you know, like that was just such a wonderful scene. I thought it was, that was great. And I feel like, like John Bernthal was like the perfect uh, casting for Mikey because the way that they describe Mikey when they talk about him was that like he was he was a guy that commands a room. He's very charismatic. He's funny. Everyone likes him. John Bernthal is just like a naturally like charismatic, like funny um, like actor. Like you people like I, I don't know, people seem like they gravitate towards him like in the roles that he gets. Like he's just like you know if you see him like in interviews like he's just a very charismatic dude. And 
yeah, they, he was like perfect for for the Mikey role because he's you know naturally charismatic and Mikey characters, uh, he's like that. He tells stories and he's like gives people their attention. But then you know in this episode you can see that you know he's deeply flawed because he's facing his addiction issues. So you know there's other issues that he's dealing with. So he's not actually like he's not 100 percent perfect. So this person that everyone's missing, they had to build it up like this. This guy is so great. And this is why everyone's hurting because we all miss him. But then, you know, he had his flaws. He had his issues. And that's why the restaurant was struggling. And, you know, um, him and Uncle Lee, played by Bob Odenkirk, have their whole issue. You know, or he's throwing the forks at him. And then because he keeps repeating the story. So then Bob Odenkirk, you know, calls him out, tells him he's nothing and a loser because he's living with his mom. And, you know, he, uh, he can't pay any money back. He's borrowing money. And then you see, like, the bad side of Mikey where it's like his addiction's taking over like he's not there all the time and he's wanting to fight and then they start he throw he flips up the table he starts fighting and then like this was right after Jamie Lee Curtis character the mom drove a car through the house and she's breaking dishes he's trying to be there and stuff and it was just it was just a mess it was just like such a chaotic dinner and um you know and that's why Carby has like flashbacks of, of certain times like that but that was like such a great episode and then it was kind of sad to you see you see um Richie he's still with his wife at the time and she's pregnant and um she's really hopeful she's believing in him he asks uh, Uncle Jimmy for a, a job and then he tells her that she he got hired when he didn't but then Uncle Jimmy lies to her it's like oh yeah you know this is why I hired him because I love him and stuff you know so she's like so hopeful of her husband Richie at the time and just believes in him, you know. So then, but then now where she's at, where she's at now, you know, now she's like marrying some other guy. So it's just it's sad to see the the flashback because you see like you know how certain characters were and then now you see how they are now where they're you know they're not with the person that they were with at the time or you know something bad happened. But um, yeah, that was a that was a, that was a, a great episode because you see why why the family's like they are, you know, and why. Um, Natalie's the way she is, you know, her mom keeps yelling at her because she keeps asking if she's okay. And, uh, Dee Dee just does not like for her to ask her if she's okay. Cause she flips out her every time she asks if she's okay. And she already told her, they already told her in the beginning, uh, Carmi and Mikey were like, Hey, don't ask her that she's, if she's okay. Okay. Just stop it. And she asked her like four times the entire episode. She's like, are you okay? And she just kept freaking out on her and it wasn't good. Um, so yeah, that was my favorite episode of the season. And then the last episode, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis shows up again and, you know, they're finally opening the restaurant and they're going to do like the first night and it's going to be amazing. They have, everybody's there. Everyone's ready to go. Um, and they kept us, they left a seat for their mom and I was like, oh man, something's bad. It's going to happen. She's going to show up and she's going to just wreck it. Right. It's going to be bad. Um, and there was an interesting scene with, um, What's the fucking, that character's name? Sugar's husband? I don't know. It's probably fine that I don't remember him because everyone fucking shits on him. Anyway, he's there and Sugar's like, she's having to come in and out of the restaurant. Like, she's taking care of shit in the kitchen and stuff. She's really taking a strong leadership role in the season, which I love. Um, and she's also pregnant, but... I don't know, let's call him Paul, maybe. I forget what his name was. So Paul, uh, he looks outside the window and he sees... Dee Dee and um, he goes out there and he's like hey come in like we have a table for you like we want you to you're going to be so proud of your kids like they're just doing such an amazing job the food's amazing like it's so great and man this is this act this part right here by Jamie Lee Curtis like this made me cry like this was just such a great scene um she's like she got all dressed up like she looks good given her uh, her situation and he's like, oh, come on in. And she's like, no, I, she's like, I can't go in. She's like, I, I, I'm proud of them, but I just can't, I can't apologize. I can't acknowledge like all the stuff I'm, I was wrong for, like, you know, and I don't want to make a scene. I don't want to, I don't want to embarrass them and all that stuff. But that was like the, that part like was so sad where she's realizing that she's her presence, her being there. You know, she knows like it, like the inevitable is gonna happen. Like she's gonna explode or something bad's gonna happen, and she can't find the words to tell her own children that um, that she's proud of them or that she's sorry for 
for the past and or for everything else that happened um so even though and she and he kept telling her he's like hey i have a table here i have a table here but um you know she's just like no i can't i can't go and um she's like hey i need you to tell me that it's okay that it's okay just don't tell him that you saw me and he's like okay it's okay and sure enough he doesn't tell sugar that uh he saw her mom i personally i don't think i would have told her either because like if if i have a moment with her like that like I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna and she was vulnerable with me and trusted me to keep that in i'm not gonna tell anybody else that i'm gonna keep it with me and she has her reasons why she's like that but man that was hard and the the, the look on like jamie lee curtis's face was that uh you know like all that regret, like the the years worth of regret that you know she can't now she can't apologize to her kids and she's proud of them but she can't see them like that and man, that was hard. That was that was a hard scene to watch. Um, and then so throughout this whole season, you know, um, Claire, that character played by Molly Gordon, um, you know, she's like this new hopeful like nice thing in Carmi's life that you know he usually doesn't have anything nice it's just always like chaotic 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 oh yelling at people in like the kitchen and everything's going with his family like everything's just crazy but she's like this like calm steady presence and she really likes him and and it seems good for him but he's just like too distracted but he should be able to balance two things um so the entire time like there's things that like he's missing in the fridge right the fridge thing he forgets that he's just like missing things he's forgetting things because he's not 100% focused and and I don't know I, I like to pay attention to like lighting of people and stuff like that and certain characters and every time they show Molly Gordon like it's like it's like she's like an angel or something like the way that they put the lighting around her it's like to me that that represents like hopefulness and like a bright future and um something like something nice for Carmi, you know something like that like it's a it's a it's a bright future like it's not dark it's something good for him and so every time like i just love the lighting of that you know like i love the scene where he's at the store and then he runs into her and they start talking to each other and they're just like standing next to the, the refrigerator doors and they're just like talking there about the the uh, about the name of the restaurant she's like i 100 percent know the name of the restaurant like no you don't know the restaurant i know the name you told me the name of the restaurant it's like okay i promise i, I know the restaurant and then she names the restaurant like i just thought that was like that was such a cute scene and i loved it but um yeah so throughout the the season you know he's trying to figure out if that's actually his girlfriend or not everyone's like yeah that's your girlfriend it's like well i haven't i haven't called her my girlfriend is that fucked up if i ask her if that's my girlfriend it's just it's so funny um but then you know he ends up locking himself in the fridge and then you know he's yelling and she just wants to see him and congratulate him on the restaurant and um yeah so then he's like knocking on the door and he's like yelling at whoever's out there but he thinks it's um tina but it's not it ends up being claire and he's telling him telling her all this stuff that you know he feels like he's wasted his time i should break up with her basically and she hears that so basically they're broken up and she had called him earlier in that day but he was like busy in the kitchen didn't answer it but then he was listening to the voicemail again and she was telling him that she loved him and all this stuff and and he just fucked it up and he's stuck in the refrigerator so obviously he was frustrated and stuff but um yeah and then that's how it ends it was just like he had to like deal with that that part of it of you know he's telling telling basically telling her when he was trying to tell tina he was telling her like he was like wants to solely focus on the restaurant and he doesn't need these distractions and stuff and then she hears that and she so she you know goes away crying obviously and then he listens to that voicemail and that part man that part got me too man a lot of a lot of scenes in this in this season got me did you guys hear that that was crazy it's like every night um, i live in downtown san francisco now and i just hear crazy explosions or i think it's a gunshot it's like crazy fireworks i don't know but that was so loud and it's always like at the worst time but uh yeah hopefully it wasn't too distracting okay back to the bear um yeah i'm just obsessed with this show it, it just it this i think second the second season was better than the first even though the first season was this phenomenal the second season was it beat it, but and it mostly because of the um, the guest stars were so good in their roles, and then also that Christmas episode and then the final episode of the season were great, and then Forks that episode was great. Um, 
every time I was watching the next episode, I was just like, wow, this episode is great too. This one's great too. Like every episode was just great in its own way. Um, you know, that last episode, that last scene with, um, with Sydney and her dad, when she's in the alley throwing up and he's just like, man, that was something I'm proud of you and all this. And, um, like, man, just hearing that from your parent is always nice. And cause he was always questioning it. It was like, Oh, do you really want to do this? Can you do this? You know, is this something, um, that you're able to do? Um, and you know, she, she's always saying, Hey, I'm putting hundred percent effort. And he's like, why are you putting in hundred percent effort? It's like, cause this is it. This is, this is my thing. And, you know, he wasn't really trusting of it, but now he got to finally witness the, um, the way that she was able to cook and like lead the charge and stuff. Um, even though, you know, then when Carmen was stuck in the fridge, you know, Richie had to, to, to take the, take the lead there with all the stuff that he learned at the, at the other restaurant. Um, and then Sydney was, was firing it off with, uh, with Tina and stuff, but yeah, um, uh, just, just the best show, honestly, it's the best show. And I keep recommending it to everybody. I'm like at work, I'm talking to patients. I'm like, oh, have you seen the bear? Like, oh, what's the bear? I'm like, boom, you should watch the bear. It's amazing. I I recommend it to my therapist. Um, yeah, it's just good. And then also, it's Hulu's best show right now. This is the only reason why I have Hulu is for the bear. It's like the same thing with like HBO. I only kept HBO for certain shows at certain times. Like all the people had it for Game of Thrones, even though there's more shows better than Game of Thrones on um, HBO. But that's a different conversation. But um, yeah, Hulu, they're rec- they've got you know record-breaking streaming uh, numbers from the premiere of season two, which was on Friday. Like so many people watched it, and it's just the hottest show right now. And for them to be able to get all of these actors for cameos, like the list is crazy for for uh, season two. Like that's that's a lot, especially for like an early season in a new show. Like usually, like you have to wait like season four, or season five of a show, but uh, the fact that they were able to do that for season two, like to get Bob Odenkirk and Jamie Lee Curtis and you know, John Bertha was already in it, but then you know, Olivia Coleman and you know John Mulaney, like there's just so many. And then that one scene with uh, Sarah Paulson, I forgot to mention this was in the Christmas episode. You know she kind of breaks away from the whole party and um, she's talking to Carmi, and when she's talking to Carmi, uh, she's like, "Hey, you know, I think." I think it would be because she lives in New York at the time with um, her husband or boyfriend. I don't know. They don't really describe it, but John Mulaney. And um, she talks to Carmen. She's talking to Carmen in the kitchen saying, hey, you know, I think I think it would be a good idea if you wanted to um, live with me in New York for a little bit, you know, just to kind of get away from the chaos here um, in Chicago. And I thought that was an interesting scene because, um, you know, she – you know, she seemed like, you know, she seemed like a good part of the family. Like, you know, she knows how to deal with all the, all the stress and all the issues and all the, all the trauma in the family. But, um, her, she invited him there and was like, Hey, you know, maybe you could get away and, you know, get away from the, the, this crazy stuff here. Right. He's like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'll think about it. That might be nice. She's like, yeah, just think about it. And that ended up being the reason why Carmi, you know, started his culinary journey right because he was in new york and that's how it all started is because she was staying with him and that was her invitation for him to to stay with her so that was an interesting scene because that was like how everything started you know when um yeah at that at that that one particular christmas so um it was good and the whole family was like bonded through food and everything and so you see um how that all came to be, but I want to, I want to know more about like the dad, maybe we'll hear more about like the whole dad situation, like what happened there, um, you know, Mikey was telling Uncle Lee, like, hey, this is my dad's house still, and all this, so, um, and I don't really know whose uncle or what <laughs> Bob Odenkirk was playing, like, was he the brother of the dad, the brother of the mom, like, I, I don't really know that whole situation, but um, yeah, just, just an amazing show, I can't get over it, I just keep wanting to talk to people about it, because it's so good, um, and I had just rewatched season one, but I might rewatch season two again because it was just that great. Um, so yeah, if you're still here with me in the podcast, thank you for listening uh, to me talk about this. But um, yeah, so I, now I have some time. I'm going to catch up on some, some other shows now. Um, I have to excuse my radiators making some weird noises right now. But actually, the person who recommended me this show before it came out was my best friend, 
Shane, who passed away last year, he recommended to me last summer. It's like, oh, you got to watch The Bear. Like, you, you would love it. You know, we, um, you know, it's our show. You know, they cook a lot and it's like really chaotic and it's just like, it's crazy and it's kind of funny too. I'm like, oh, okay, let me check it out. And then he passed, um, you know, that September and I didn't get around, I hadn't gotten around to watching it yet in the summer. Like, so I never got to talk to him about season one and he never got to see season two and I never got to talk to him about season two. So, um, yeah, he's the one that recommended me the show. And then I finally watched it after he passed and I was like, oh man, that is our show. Like that was such a good show. And like, yeah, he just, he just got me. Um, and like me and him, like we bonded so much over food too. So it's like, um, yeah, it's a very important show for me. Um, especially cause he, he recommended, recommended it to me. Cause every time, every time we got together, we always like, we always wanted to cook like different stuff. Like, oh, what are we going to make? We're going to do some surf and turf. Ooh, let's make some let's make some burgers or let's do some steaks and, you know, let's do, uh, let's do different stuff, you know? So we were always excited to, uh, to link up and just cook, you know, that was always fun. Well, I've gone for an hour today, so I will conclude this podcast. Thank you for joining me and listening. I really appreciate it, especially my whole review of, uh, my whole recap of season two of the bear. Um, but we will be back next week. We'll, Maybe talk some more baseball, see what other news is out there, and if I uh, have any other shows to recommend. Uh, But thank you, always appreciate it.